Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted podcast. I'm Mary Beth West, Senior PR Strategist for Fletcher PR, and I'm here with my colleague, Fletcher CEO Kelly Fletcher, to talk about the topic of marketing to women. Uh, We will also touch briefly on the Me Too backlash that seems to have come with some brands hitching their wagons to that movement. Uh, Kelly, you've built your agency around this expertise of marketing to women, and not just women in general, but highly specific groups of women. And it's, you know, it's a well-known fact that women account for more than 80% of consumer purchasing decisions from, you know, everything from autos to homes, vacations, and down to where we're going to go out for dinner tonight. So I've heard your story, and I've always been interested in how you arrived at this niche in your agency. Can I start off by telling us a little bit about that? Sure. So when I started the agency 12 years ago, my background was really heavy into the marketing to women space, um, particularly because I'd been working for a national home shopping network where our customer base was 95% women. Mm-hmm. We were constantly doing research, focus groups, traveling around the country, talking to women. And I got just really interested in the psychology and the art and science of marketing to women. And since we do control 80 plus percent of consumer spending in the U.S. I thought, well, okay, you know, let's do that. It's what I'm passionate about. There's a need for it. 12 years ago when I started the business, there were a lot of companies who were still lagging way behind in in the area of marketing to women. I can remember going into meetings in the C-suite or even with VPs of marketing who were shocked when they found out that, you know, 50% of adult women in this country aren't married in the first place. Shocker. Shocker. So if if you're marketing to traditional families, which was by and large what was happening 12 years ago, Um, you are really losing a lot of your market share right off the bat. So we decided um, that that's what we were going to do, that we were going to help brands figure out how to reach women in a a relevant and meaningful way. Um, I think a lot of brands and companies are still getting it terribly wrong. And Mm -hmm. until the day comes that I don't see that happening, then we're going to live and breathe helping brands to get it right when it comes to reaching women. Right. Well, it's interesting. uh, Just a number of weeks ago, um, I follow the um, Alan Alda podcast. Um, You Uh know, know, Alan Alda of MASH fame, Hawkeye, you know, he has started in, in his career, actually about 10 years ago, he started advocating for stronger communications in the scientific realm. And one of the tweets that I think he put out recently was a reminder that a lot of the scientific research that was done for decades and decades really was research that was only done on men. They did not conduct you know, medicinal or medical studies as much on women. And so you have all of these uh, medical protocols that were developed really only having been tested with men. So um, it's like the same. And of course, that has a follow on impact for decades as to what you know, how medicines are developed or the treatments. And so it it kind of falls along our entire society has, you know, for so many decades, it was really just focused on the the male consumer. And I think a lot of it was probably unconscious. But I want to talk about a little bit here, how you decided to capitalize in your branding for Fletcher, the last three letters of your name, the H-E-R, because I think that is a very clever approach to conveying 
your sense of brand in, you know, in a subtle way. Well, that is a funny story because I paid somebody a lot of money to tell me that the last <laughs> three letters of my last name were H-E-R, <laughs> even though that's what we did every day. And my one reason is my last name is Fletcher, my maiden name. So, And I couldn't think of anything better to name the company. So we went with Fletcher. And Oh, and if I could interject, that is kind of a Southern thing, too, that we trade on our names, you know? And because, yeah. I, I mean, I had a company for a lot of years that... It was my it was my name in the name of the company, so that's kind of part of that ethic. But anyway, go ahead. Apparently, it's also a very southern thing to name your son your maiden name. Yeah, and then when you get divorced, <laughs> take your maiden name back, and then you have all these Fletchers floating around. He's like, I got a son named Fletcher, I got a last name Fletcher, and I got a company named Fletcher. So I'm sure people the probably trifecta. think I'm really obsessed with my name, but I'm not. Um, it just worked, and yeah. um, it's really been very well received. And so when you see our brand and you see our logo and you see the H-E-R, you get that we're doing something in the realm of um, women and business. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure it's as simple as having one rule when it comes to developing campaigns. I mean, obviously, you and I have invested our entire careers into this. But if you had to narrow it down, what is rule number one when it comes to campaigns? Well, when it comes to marketing, my first rule is just don't try so hard. Mm. Um, when it comes to marketing to women, don't. Resist the urge to, um, we always laugh about the pink it and shrink it mentality that some brands have had. Now, I think that it's going away from that, and maybe the pendulum is swinging in the total opposite direction, which I think is an issue too. But, you know, women are complex creatures, and if you want to market to us um, effectively, you, you don't insult our intelligence or don't go Amen. into some feminine overboard realm that gets on our nerves. I mean, one commercial that comes to mind right now that is, I think, really missing the mark when it comes to reaching women. It's a Jergens lotion commercial. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've seen it. I don't know that I have, um, but, but I will after yes, this episode. <laughs> yes. So it's this mom and I can't remember the actress, but she has a very distinct voice and she's worried about her daughter's dry elbows. So she's chasing her around the house with a bottle of Jergens. Every mother's concern. Yes. Because she mentions that she has inherited her dad's dry, scaly elbows. And as if that's something completely gross and she's going to be an epic failure in her life and not attract a man if she doesn't get her elbows under control. Well, that'll get you blackballed out of the junior yes, league. Yeah, I, for sure. <laughs> but I don't know about the rest of you moms, but I don't know when the last time you ran around the house with a bottle of Jergens <laughs> lotion chasing your kids, but it feels so inauthentic and the spot completely lacks emotion. Okay. So yeah. there's a subtle implication <laughs> that if you have dry skin and you don't do something about it, it's not sexy. And those are the kind of scenarios we consult on in our practice every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously you can't lump all women into one category. And that is actually one of my pet peeves when, when I see that happening. Um, you know, women are so multidimensional, not to mention, you know, we come in all shapes and sizes, ethnicities, sexual orientation, ideologies, political and otherwise. I mean, you name it. How do you address the individuality aspect that must come with marketing to women? And how are you advising your clients in, right. that, in that respect? Right. So funny story. Um, I was in Atlanta. Oh, this is probably a meeting with um, an executive from the Weather Channel maybe about five years ago. I wish I could remember his name. He was really nice. Um, and he was very interested in the fact that we specialize in marketing to women. And he said, but you know, he said, I bet within the next year or two, you're going to be marketing to women with like 
two tattoos on her left thigh and, you know, blonde hair that doesn't cover her. You know, it's so specific and so segmented. And that really is what's happened is that Mm. um, marketing to women is never a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can never be that way. And that's why there are agencies that are more specialized even than us that reach Latino or African-American or LGBT women. Um, So it really is about narrowing down the audience and figuring out how to reach them. And when it comes to that, I think marketing to women is actually more of an art than a science. Mm-hmm. Um, and more than anything, it's it's about finding a way to tap into the emotion of whatever the segment is that we're trying to reach. And storytelling is a great way to do that. We've really gotten to be very high on story-based marketing. And I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a minute. But Please. Um, Donald Miller of Story Brand fame, if you've heard of yeah, Story of Brand. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. So, and I'm a certified Story Brand right. guide. So this is a topic for an entirely different episode, and hopefully we'll get Don on the show. But he talks about how story compels the human brain faster than anything. Mm-hmm. So when we find those stories within those segmented audience of women, when we find those stories that inspire and empower women to take some sort of action. And it's not always about buying a product. It could be about changing a behavior or um, inspiring or empowering a woman to make an important decision. Marketing to women is about finding that emotion, telling the story, and then lifting her up in a way that taps into her brain. And we know that women think differently than men, and we process information differently, and we make decisions differently. So when we ignore ignore all of that, we failed as marketers. Mm. And that's what our practice is all about, and it's what we you know spend our time studying and learning how to do more effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what you mentioned earlier about not insulting women's intelligence, and just it, and it's sort of counterintuitive because we're talking about developing messaging for a very specific sector of the audience, but at the same time, you can't look contrived in that effort or like you're uh, pandering, I guess is the right word, pandering to that specific. It has to be authentic. Right. And and, and I think that that is an applicable standard across any niche market that you're trying to reach. Uh, No one wants to feel like their intelligence is, is insulted or that they're being pandered to. It's kind of a universal... Universal truth. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and and it's sometimes shocking how much uh, that goes off the table. With and I I think it does speak to diversity in the profession, in the public relations profession, and those who are actually working in marketing communications and developing these campaigns. I mean, when you have a a team that is developing marketing communications who are they don't reflect at all the audience that they're trying to reach. I think that it's a it can be a, a very inadvertent, but almost impossible to avoid misstep because they're looking at things through a very certain lens and they don't even realize what they're missing on, on the periphery. Right. So um, anyway, that's where testing yeah. and research comes in. Too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, when you think about um, over the span of your career, um, is there one campaign that you thought you really got it right when it came to reaching, you know, whatever group of women you were trying to reach? I mean, is there an example that pops to mind for you? Well, I hope I don't get into trouble for this one, um, Mary Beth, because you're a little more conservative. It sounds like you're about to get into trouble. 
Mary Beth is a little more conservative than me. That's why we make such a good team. I go off on these crazy tangents, and sometimes she was like, no, wait a minute. Like, have you really thought about that? Yeah, let me get my electric cattle prod here and just like be sure we're like shepherding this message and this conversation in the right way for both of us. Well, one of the most, I'm just going to go with it because it is my podcast. Yeah. Okay, my yeah. name's on it. Yes, so ma'am. I can talk about whatever I want to talk yes, about. Yes, indeedly, doodly. So um, one of the, well, our most award-winning and one of our most effective campaigns was for a spermicide brand called Conceptral. Mm-hmm. So we were working with this company um, out of New Jersey called Revive Personal Products, Kelly Kaplan, CEO. Hi, Kelly. We need to get you on the, the show. And um, they had purchased three or four products from P&G that P&G just wasn't really interested anymore. Yeah. So Revive took them over, and one of them was Conceptral. It was in a boring blue box, and it was positioned really low on the shelves and, and CVS and Walgreens and everywhere else. And so they worked on getting it moved higher up on the shelf, more eye level, and they wanted a campaign that would reach millennial, young millennial women um, that would educate them about what spermicide actually was because they didn't know because it was like your grandmother's birth control. However, there were all kinds of benefits to spermicide. Um, It's non-hormonal. It's as effective um, as using a condom when used the right way and consistently for preventing um, pregnancy. For preventing yeah. pregnancy, yes, and also like if you're nursing, it's a good alternative to um, to keep from getting pregnant. I mean, how many women have you heard got pregnant when they were nursing? Oh, yeah, 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 nightmare. So um, I probably shouldn't say nightmare because some women made love having <laughs> Irish twins. But all right, I'm <laughs> off on another topic now. So anyway, so what we did is they kept pushing us to be edgier and edgier and edgier. You may not know this, but Digital gaming, women playing games on their devices, on their iPads and their iPhones. Um, we are the queens of that. We mm-hmm. own that market. Right. We are 75 to 80% of the online gamers. Now, I'm not talking about video games. I'm talking about Candy Crush, Word, Will of Fortune. Well, for Joe. me, it's Scrabble. So okay, that's right. how big a nerd I am. But so. anyway, go on with your story there, Kelly. <laughs> so we developed a digital game, and we called it Spin the Sperm, and it was educational. And so there were 12 sperms on a wheel. <laughs> And um, there were that they had just, different personalities. Awesome. One was like bookworm sperm. One was jock sperm. One was like um, <laughs> playboy sperm. We, and so you would spin the wheel, and the, the the sperm would swim over, and it would ask you a question, and it would pop up. And so you were learning while you were playing a funny game. Yeah, you're getting educated on what this product does, and then you were scored. And based on that score, you got this was back in the day when you could get a Facebook badge. Mm-hmm. So you could get a Facebook badge to share. And so this campaign, we won two gold Addies. Um, see, see, and I remember the name of the campaign because I was sitting in the audience during one of these award programs and I mean you can't forget that name when it comes up and it's a it's announced as a winner so So I you know that it was a really um interesting and creative approach I think to reaching a very small segment of the population I mean this was we were trying to reach women you know 20 to 32 so um and we didn't have a huge budget, so we had to do wow. it primarily through digital and social, but it also generated a lot of PR because it was kind of out there, and we well, sent out press kits. And, and just the creativity of it, and just, uh, you know, that that's sort of an off-the-chart So that's really, what, that's my favorite campaign ever. Yeah. I mean, well, you uh, mentioned earlier about research, and that is absolutely a critical element, um, but I'd love for you to talk more about how research does play 
into the decision-making process when it comes to developing and testing a campaign before you go to market. I mean, I think very often that gets left out of the mix, especially if you are going to be going to market with a little bit more edgy or maybe risky campaign concept, you know, trying to make sure that before we make this full on investment, is this on target? Are we going to be hitting our marks here? I mean, how can you be certain campaigns are going to resonate with women, particularly? Right? Well, imperative research is just imperative um, to testing your tactics. And with Conceptual, like I said, we didn't have a huge budget, but we did do some informal focus groups. And we sent out a survey. Um, So we at least did did have some feedback that it was going to be well received. Mm-hmm. It's shocking to me how some of the larger brands, I think they seem to skip over the research phase or the testing mm-hmm. phase. Um, I will have to reference the Gillette razors, toxic masculine masculinity campaign. I can't oh, talk. Yeah. Um, that was in response to the me too movement. And you may remember, so this was a not maybe not quite two years ago. Um, they came out with a video and it it showed all these examples of toxic masculinity, like little boys fighting. And I mean, it was just, it was weird. Mm-hmm. And what's even weirder about it is it was directed by a director from the UK who was a woman. Um, and it had nothing to do with razors. I mean, it just, it was such a disconnect between the brand and the product that... Um, I just didn't get it, and I yeah. had to question whether they had tested that. Right, and I, I mean, I think the the intent was how to be a better man, or I guess right. someone's version the, of was, a better man. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and don't I, it, fight, don't get in a bar crawl fight. You know, I mean, it was just it was a little just out there. Well, and I think that from from the perspective of men who were the intended audience for that that marketing message i think perhaps they felt their intelligence was insulted maybe Absolutely. in that case it was a the question even became in the back of my mind okay now who are they pandering to you know right <laughs> uh and, and it attacked and, masculinity in a way i think that that was so easily that even i'm sure that that was not the intent some aspects of that outcome were not certainly not the intent by Gillette but it you know, it was an outcome. It there, it was rife with opportunity for misinterpretation. I think, mm-hmm. and I think that's what you run into sometimes when you're developing a campaign that is, uh, and and this will have to be a subject for a future episode. But this idea of tying in social messaging, politically correct, if you will, or poli- politically oriented, cause oriented messaging into product marketing, you're going to be wading into some risky waters and you're going to have, you know, folks attacking that um, very easily if they feel like they were targeted or some aspect of their outlook is targeted. Um, well, that could way. put you out of business. I mean, you tweeted about two months ago, an announcement came out that um, P&G took an $8 billion write-off on Gillette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that just came out two months ago, and they blamed it on other factors. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think that they waded into an issue that completely turned off their 
their base mm-hmm. of their customer base. Mm-hmm. I think you can be polarizing if you do it in a way that you know what the outcome is going to be. Um, Nike would be an example of that. We could, Whew, that's man. a whole show unto itself. Um, yeah. But I think they knew their customer. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's working for and, and, and Nike is one of those cases where I think the numbers are bearing out what their strategy is. Now, I still have, you know, being of the, you know, political posture that I am, I still have some serious concerns about, you know, the messaging and some of the underlying aspects of that. And I have a lot of colleagues whom I respect deeply who disagree with the fact that I'm a bit off put with it. And, and that's okay to disagree. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think that uh, y- you have to know what you're doing. You have to have done the research to your point. And, you know, if you don't, you can really end up having egg on your face with that. You sure can. And we have an entire episode planned um, centered around brand backlash and the Me Too movement. Yeah. You know, I'll only comment on this briefly because we're, we are going to talk about it in another, another episode. But I think that um, it was so overdone that it's actually taken away um, some of the credibility and validity and maybe emotion of the Me Too movement. If you Google the Me Too movement now, you'd, you'd be shocked at how little discussion there is about it. Um, and it's, I know that we all have short attention spans, but it's kind of faded away from the consciousness, in my opinion. And I think one of the reasons may be because so many brands were trying to capitalize on it. There was an Australian clothing brand that actually came out with a me too collection and the call to action was shop oh, yeah. shop now. So, you know, when mm-hmm. it gets to that point, women yeah. are just going to tune it out because it's no longer authentic. Um, and it's it, not that the movement is authentic, but there are too many brands trying to get into an inauthentic conversation mm-hmm. about it. And it's morphed into something that it was never it, intended it's to morphed be. Into something. And again, it, it that starts insulting people's intelligence. It it's like, okay, we were talking about something substantive here and now you're trying to make a buck off of yeah, it. And we don't want that. Right. We don't want you to make a buck off our movement. So right. just stop it already. Yeah. Well, as always, it's been a very enlightening discussion. Uh, thanks for sharing your stories, Kelly. And please follow Fletcher Marketing PR on the Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can follow me at Mary Beth West. We will respond to your questions and comments, so please post them using the hashtag MsInterpreted, and that's hashtag MsInterpreted. And for the visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. Everyone, thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.